Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And today we want to talk about revival, um, an important topic. Uh, we've gotten a number of requ- requests on this from some recently, and so we're just we're going to talk about it. Um, and it's probably going to be, this is a syndicated series, so it's probably going to be at least three episodes, if not more. Um, but we want to want to talk about it and do you want to call it a mini a mini series series like our fixing fables or we'll call it yeah whatever the people reviving revivals (laughs) no don't send us in (laughs) (laughs) we have no mugs for you people (laughs) actually we do we just want you to spend money (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so m- much of this, though, actually is the result of the state of our culture. That's where some of these questions have been, yeah. or requests, I should say, have been uh, why this is coming to us. So here in Kenosha, we've been having so-called revival meetings or revival gatherings. Um, actually, it's been a while now since those took place. But in light of the riots that we had here back in the late summer, there was a great desire for many churches and Christians to gather, to see change, to see hope, to see revival in our city in which, our which is not bad no nothing evil in and of itself in that in our civil park uh where much of the protesting and rioting was taking place outside the courthouse uh there were worship concerts that were happening these things were being live streamed on social media uh, many people came out to sing to pray so on and so forth there were a number of churches that organized this and even several pastors in the area spoke at some of these events There was also a traveling worship guy that probably most of the country has heard of by now uh, named Sean Foyt, um, spelled F-E-U-C-H-T. And he came to town. He's been traveling around the United States, uh, apparently tired of the double standard where protesters can gather in the streets, but churches can't meet. Uh, So he's been organizing and holding what he's been calling worship protests. And he's amassed a pretty large following at this point. And he goes from city to city and then typically asks the local preacher to come and preach the gospel or give some some kind of, you know, uplifting message. So in light of Kenosha now being a household name, in light of the riots that took place, he came to our city and held one of his events. And the stated goal was to help bring a renewal and revival. The result of these calls for revival in our city have been met with mixed thoughts and feelings actually by the various churches and pastors. It's been interesting just to read and watch this. Um, Some pastors have loved it and have strongly desired to see revival. Other pastors have had a very strong aversion to some of these efforts because they think the atmosphere of these, you know, revival events, Sean Foyt's in particular, was actually too celebratory. Uh, That's one that I had heard. Rather, they think the church in Kenosha should be more sober and grieving right now and the stated reason was because of racism and police brutality. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Nobody talks to me about any of this stuff, so they just I, ignore I, me. Well, <laughs> for good not, reason. It's not like they're sending me emails. <laughs> 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 this is literally what I'm seeing on social media. So, so 
Our goal here is not to comment on the various perspectives from these pastors or churches, but it is to say that this idea of revival is happening in light of these recent events. Furthermore, there are revival and prayer efforts organizing at a national level. Um, these sorts of things are always around in one way or another, but they seem to become prominent during times of crisis and even around election time, which we just were in and you know are getting through right now. So for example, you can go to a website www.thereturn.org. And what you'll see there is a national day of prayer and global repentance. Um, now, this was an event that actually took place back on September 26, where celebrities, popular authors, speakers, and pastors led an online event centered around global prayer and repentance. And again, just do a quick Google search or actually DuckDuckGo duck, duck, go. search. Yeah, and you'll find many of these sort of events taking place you know, all the time. The questions that we get as pastors though is, should we be part of this? So we're not, and we were not part of any of these events in our city. First of all, we weren't asked. I mean, we're typically not asked to be part of this stuff, but even if we were, we're likely not going to be part of it, which probably is why we're never asked. <laughs> um, second, we also got some inquiries as to whether or not we could sign up to host a virtual meeting for, uh, you know, a global prayer event. And there was a genuine and honest frustration from some as to why we would not be part of this nor support such a thing. And we found their questions and concerns to be honest. And so what we thought we would do is record an episode or two or three on why. And like all things for us, the answer has to do with theology. So while prayer and revival meetings sound like a worthy thing, and while global gatherings for repentance sound like a really good thing, the question becomes though, is it biblical? And that's the question you should always be asking, regardless of the feeling that's that's there. Is it right? Is it proper? Is it what God has actually called us as the church to do? Further, is what these various organizations mean when they use the word revival, what we mean when we talk about revival uh, in terms of the global gatherings for prayer and repentance? Again, the question we have is what does repentance mean in their mind? Uh, are we talking about the same thing? Do we have the same biblical framework and understanding? Are the motivations and the goals the same? Are the things that we'd be praying for the same thing that's taking place at these events? That's a huge thing. Yeah, in other words, when we gather with other churches in the city to pray for revival, to pray for restoration, to long for hope, are we even doing the same thing? That's the question to ask. Is, is there a true unity of mind and effort and goal goals there? Um, well, the answer will come down ultimately for us to what is true revival, biblically speaking. What is our part to play in revival and how is that going to be accomplished? So we're going to spend some time talking about revival and specifically trying to make a very critical distinction between true revival and something called revivalism, uh, which is what we're going to develop here in a little bit. Um, and we would argue it, revivalism is something far and away much different, you know, from what we call true revival. Yeah, yeah. So what is revival? So let's define it. And we want to give credit where credit is due. If you're looking for some good resources on revival, we would highly recommend a book by John Armstrong called When God Moves. Um, and also, if you're looking for some really good history on revival, Ian Murray's uh, Revival and Revivalism um, is just tremendous. Um, 
he is a very good his church historian, and any of his writings would be worth your time. But to give credit where credit due, both of these books were helpful in guiding our discussion on the topic, and so much of what we can say uh, will be drawn from these two resources. So we'll do what we commonly do. We're going to start with just the words, the lexical issues. So the word revival as a noun is never used in scripture. And that right there should cause you to slow down. And we would just ask, again, these are terms that we're so comfortable with. I grew up in uh, the Nazarenes, and they had these things called camp meetings. And once a year, and they were revivals. And they would bring in a revival preacher. And there was no revival going on. It was just a bunch of preaching. We were checking out the girls, um, you know. That's that's what we called camp meeting, um, but a lot of people have heard the term revival, but it's not actually something that the Bible talks about, um, and so we should just slow down and think about. So the verb to revive in the scripture, uh, how how is that used? Well, in the Old Testament, it's the verb. I like this one, chaya. So like karate chop. Yeah, chaya, uh, which is the verb used to speak of simply making alive. In fact, literally, it is to live. However, it's also used in the sense of bringing back alive. It refers to breathing or causing something to once again breathe. Um, so it is the idea of revive. So the idea of revive is certainly present in the term. So an example in 1 Kings 17:22, the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and revived. So the context is clear that this is bringing back physical life to the child. Uh, Elijah prayed for God to bring life back to Zarephath's dead dead child. Boy, that's tough for my lips. Um, (laughs) The same term is also, though, used in Ezekiel 37, the famous passage called the Valley of Dry Bones. Uh, Here, Ezekiel is commanded to prophesy over dead bones. And as he does, the Lord causes his spirit to enter them. Uh, The context is bringing life back to Israel, and it's looking to a future time of national restoration. In the New Testament, we see a couple Greek words that may carry connotations of some type of reviving. May. 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 That's a key word there. So a gay row is is the word. this word means to awake or arouse a sleeping person. Paul likes, for example, to use sleeping as a euphemism for when Christians die. And so as a result, he'll use this word to speak of the physical resurrection from the dead. So 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two, for example, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Um, another word that will sometimes be used is um, anistemi. Uh, the term literally means to rise or to cause to rise. Most often in Paul, it's used to speak of a physical resurrection of the body from the dead. Again, 1 Corinthians 4, 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So, the, But that's it. I mean, yeah. the, so you got the one word in the Hebrew. And two in Greek. Yeah. And that's basically the closest we get to the idea of reviving uh, in terms of the lexical data in Scripture. The bulk of the occurrences seem to speak, though, of bringing physical life. Um, the Ezekiel 37 passage is perhaps the closest we can get to a kind of spiritual reviving. But even that is 
a specific text used in reference to the nation of Israel and her future restoration. So as a result, this is why we say it is, it is wise to slow down <coughs> if you're going to be biblical or desire to be biblical. You know, you can, you can look to the historical accounts and anecdotal stories to build your theology of revival. But if we're going to be truly biblical, we have to be honest with ourselves in terms of what the scripture actually reveals. And the reality is it reveals very little. Yeah. Now, is that to say that revival is not a real thing? We would say no. Um, but it is to say we should not come to the scriptures with our preconceived notions that our understanding of revival is necessarily biblical. Yeah. So the question is, is, is how do we proceed then in light, in light of that happy news? Well, let's begin by talking about, first of all here, what revival is not. All right. So what is it not? Well, first of all, from a biblical and truly historical perspective, revival is not a series of meetings. This is key because it, it, there is so much historical precedent for thinking that this is, in fact, the case. Um, we're all familiar with tent meetings, prayer meetings, evangelistic crusades, conferences, and, and such. They're designed to bring about revival. There are also calls for repentance, both individually and corporately. So you can go to a place called uh, www.thereturn, all one word, thereturn.org. Uh, they have an effort that we uh, we would encourage you to go to just to see what it says. At there, the hope with these calls to repentance is that God will be pleased with our repentance and later bring about a greater revival. Well, all of these are well-meaning, and, and it's not like we think they're evil, uh, and they're well-intentioned. They're not revival. Right. To put it plainly, it's indefensible from the Scriptures. There simply is no passage that speaks of God bringing about a revival as a result of meeting certain preconditions. So that's what we really want to emphasize here. It, if we do this and do this and this, then God will revive us. Um, it's like, no, that, that's not true. And we'll develop this as we go through this series. Um, it's a great error that many make. They wrongly think that if we can be heartfelt enough, passionate enough, pray hard enough, get enough people together to cry out to God that somehow revival will happen. And again, you will struggle to defend this from Scripture and show that this is how God actually works or that it is what God has asked his church to do, which is a big point. Further, we would say that as long as this is how revival is being defined, the concept of true revival will continue to be confused. Re uh, revival is not a program. It's not an effort. It's not striving to meet certain preconditions that God has promised to bless. Now, there are certain realities that will often precede revival, uh, which we'll talk about later, but they are no guarantee that revival will come um, hear that again. I'm just going to say it again. There are certain realities that will often precede revival, but they're not a guarantee that it will actually happen. However, it's not in our ability, therefore, to create revival or to do something to bring it about. In fact, if you study the history of true revival, it's interesting to see how there are very few precursors. <laughs> That's just the truth. Yeah. Uh, so, is this Martin Lloyd-Jones? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, Jones is quoted saying that if you want living proof of God's sovereignty, <laughs> study the history of true revivals, but we'll deal with that more later. Again, yeah. we simply cannot stress this point enough. Yeah. Um, in his point there is, in, it's what we're going to argue for, that revival is a pure act of God's sovereign 
will. And and so when people say, hey, do you want to participate in this revival event out at the park? And we say, no, it's not because we don't want God to move. <laughs> um, it's because that's not how God moves. Yeah. And, and we don't want to, we, we're pastors, right? And so we, we have a flock that God will hold us eternally accountable for. We don't want to send a confusing message telling them that, yeah, this is great. Let's all start dressing in sackcloth and ashes and let's pull a Nineveh. Yeah. You know, and maybe these things will happen and we'll bring it all about. That's not. Exactly. Well, and that's why I love that quote. If you want living proof of God's sovereignty, he says, study the history of true revivals, because what you'll find there is that very few things were being done right. in an effort to bring about revival. They just happened. Exactly. Uh, second, we would also say revival is not something that is here today and then gone tomorrow. In other words, it's not a mere emotional disturbance due to a conference traveling worship leader, or a feeling in the air during times of crisis. So a lot of bad things happened in Kenosha in August. Um, many well-meaning people, therefore, assumed God was at work in the midst of it to bring about revival. Yeah. I mean, I've literally heard that. We would simply argue that what you saw was simply a greater degree of unrestrained sin. That's what was happening in August in Kenosha. But because we've amplified times of sin, that does not mean God is wanting to now work in a unique way to bring about revival. And if you don't believe that, read Habakkuk. That's a very good <laughs> point, yes. Um, again, they're, they're good desires and well-meaning Christians, but your, your, quote, sense or, quote, feeling that God is up to something, and I'm not trying to be mean here, but it has zero bearing on whether or not true revival is or is about to take place at all. It's very interesting how much of that revivalistic notion has already disappeared in Kenosha, um, I'm kind of glad we waited a little bit to talk about this yeah. just so we can make that point is it was hot and heavy August and September, but now it's already dwindled. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. You don't see it. And so the question is, did God fail right? or did we fail? You know, and we would say neither. Yeah. I would <laughs> just, but I would argue that while there was great passion and desire for revival there, what it really was, was emotions. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. those have, the crisis has dwindled. So now has that emotion or desire for revival to take place. In other words, they, they did some really neat things, but in not in accordance to knowledge to tear that verse out of context. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. I, I can do it when I need to. <laughs> oh, it's my Your turn. turn. Uh, Number three. So third, <laughs> third, true revival is not about miracles. Uh, so in times of true revival, unusual things have been recorded to take place. However, what is important to understand is that the North American Christians in the 20th century have put far more emphasis on special phenomena than any other century in church history. And yet, we're experiencing an enormous time of infidelity to the basic truths of the gospel. And that's Isn't that huge. interesting? Yeah, we're all about miracles. Can't quite get that gospel down, though. Yeah. Um, fourth, true revival is not local or national moral recovery, nor is Say it, that again. Yeah, Say that again. True revival is not local or national moral recovery. This is a big mistake I'm seeing in many conservative mm -hmm. circles. Uh, nor is it a community being unified in terms of an optimistic spirit, again, especially during times of crisis. Importantly for the United States, revival is not a renewed political involvement. Uh, or a renewed sense of the, quote, American spirit. Um, and that's going to hurt some, but it's true. Patriotism and love of country is not a bad thing necessarily, but it's not revival, uh, especially 
when we begin to equate love for country with love for God. Yeah. Uh, fifth, revival is not evangelism. Evangelism is evangelism. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Enough said. Uh, first, evangelism is to be the ongoing work of the church, regardless of the times. So when people come to Christ as a result of evangelism, this is not revival. Um, Armstrong says this, a fresh obedience to the work of evangelism may well precede revival, but evangelism and evangelistic efforts do not equate or equal revival. If we persist in calling outreach crusades revivals, we will also persist in thinking that what is needed is to be found in outreach efforts. Revival is the awakening of the Christian community, the church. That's, That's that last thing very is, key. Yeah. Hear that again. It's not people getting saved. Revival is first the awakening of the Christian community, actually the church. So that's very helpful because it helps orient the focus of true revival. Revival is not bringing about new life, but reviving old life. Since the church has already been made alive, the focus on re of revival is the church, not the world. So just because dead sinners are, for the first time, being made alive in Christ, that does not mean revival is happening in the truest sense of the term. Now, we'll, we'll develop this more next time, but it's very important to understand that the focus of revival is always the church and not the world. This is also seen in the Old Testament where the focus of revival in like Ezekiel 37 was only on the people of God, Israel. The same holds true in the New Covenant. The, a biblical view of revival understands the object of God's blessing and renewal is the church. I hope we said that enough times that they're starting to at least think, well, even if they disagree with this, okay, let, let's think about that. Now, there might be some good results in the world as a function of what the revived church is now doing, such as evangelism, but the world is not the object in view in terms of God's spirit working in a unique, unique way. So when you have pastors or churches saying, you know, we need a revival, we need to do, because our city's broken, we want to see God move in the city, you know, so on and so forth. Again, good intentions, but that's not what revival is. It, the, the object of revival is always the people of God. It's reviving that which has already been brought to life. Uh, again, something focused on yeah. the church. So that's just our beginning for way into this um, topic of revival. Uh, and so we hope that it does set the stage a little bit. Much of what we talked about here is what we would simply define as revivalism. It is not true revival, but what may have wrongly assumed, have been assumed to be revival. Much of this is, again, experience-driven, and it is man-made. The efforts have good intentions behind them, or they may have wicked intentions behind them, like money, which is what you see a lot of in the, you know, in the old tent gatherings, so on and so forth. But regardless, all of those are revivalism. Again, not true revival. To define revivalism in a nutshell, it's anything that begins with man or man's efforts, or man's attempting to meet criteria that we think must first be met in order to see God move. Let me quickly insert something there. What's the guy's name that does these thingies? Foyt? Sean Foyt. Sean. Uh, Sean Foyt. I, I was reading some after you pointed me to him and what they were doing, and how in one of them, there he, he said, well, he's looking for a powerful speaker. 
And, and, and that's right there what you're talking about. When when we need to find that really charismatic high speaker, energy. high energy, yeah. he's the kind of guy. And it's like you miss the whole point of what real revival is. You're looking for if we can get the cool pastor, the powerful pastor, whatever that means, uh, somehow that's going to really energize the crowd as we bring the gospel. It's like it def- it actually betrays where your hope lies. Your hope is lying in the one, the 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 vessel that is presenting the gospel rather than where the real power lies, which is in the gospel. and The weak message yeah, of the gospel. A, a, yeah. yeah, it's the power of God unto salvation. It's never going to be because that guy said it so powerfully that it compelled people now to... To do, but that's a, that's in the site. But I think no, that's worthwhile. A good comment. Yeah. So if, if what you're doing or if if what you're wanting to take part of falls into one of these categories, then that's again revivalism, and it's not truly biblical. Which in part hopefully helps to begin to answer the question of why we don't partake in these things or recommend them to people within our church. So to attend a revival meeting, to join a nationwide call to repentance, to pray to see God move gathering as many churches together to worship, to cry out to God, so on and so forth. Nothing there is evil, but again, you're going to be hard-pressed to find any of that in the scriptures. So if, if you want to be biblical, we would ask you to consider why and where in the Bible the church is called to do any of that for the purpose of seeing revival. You're, just, you're not going to find it. In fact, um, as we'll see next time, all true revival, as we mentioned earlier, is a pure act of sovereign work by God alone. Um, that is to say, God is completely unmoved and unreactive to anything outside of him. And that is such, say that one again, um, too. That's a great line, dude. Yeah. Uh, all true revival is a pure act of sovereign work by God, which is to say that God is completely unmoved or unreactive to anything outside that of him. That just goes against modern church thinking, though, that we we just got to do something. We got to harder, pray, get, get all the churches yeah. together. We actually betray more of a word of faith theology in that than we would want to admit. When we're, if we do all of this, then we can make God move. We'll, we'll, we'll move them. Yeah. And if, and, and if, it, but it, it, it's against the person of God. God does not act due to outside and, uh, influence. Influence. Is yeah. That's a word. Yeah. I'm like, there's a word. It's only from the center it's, of his own will and pleasure. Right. And once you get that, by the way, people, that's theology proper. Once you get that, your whole life shifts. Yeah. You just get a lot more settled and relaxed. Yeah. And it, well, that's a great, I was, that's the word in my mind is you can just take a breath. Yeah. You, you don't have to burden yourself with doing things to try and make something happen. Well, I, I mean, even in evangelism, I, I remember early in my uh, Christian walk, I, I would think about after I shared Christ. And the guy didn't come to Christ or something like that. And I, I then beat myself up. Oh, if only I'd said this, only if I'd said that. And finally, a, an older man just said, did you present the gospel? Yeah. Then leave it alone. Yeah. Your job is not to save him. Your job is to present the gospel. God's job is to save whom he wishes. And once, at first I didn't agree, <laughs> but that's just my arrogance. Um, as I realized that was true, it, would be, it became freeing. All of a sudden, it, what the real question was, did I believe the gospel was God's way of saving people? Not my methodology, not my evidence, not my debating skills or anything else. Yeah, that's good. Anyhow. So we would just say then, 
God's never looking to anything outside of him to decide when he wants to do something, right? So as a result, there's no precondition. And this is, I guess, the point that we keep trying to make with <coughs> this idea of revivalism. There's no precondition that man can meet or must meet in order for God to work in a special way or to bring about revival. Um, and so just keep that, that concept in mind because it is going to be key to understanding then true revival, uh, which is something that we're gonna begin to develop more fully next time, Lord willing. So that's it. Um, until then, make sure to tune in, join this conversation. We would love to hear your thoughts on revival. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review on iTunes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend. <laughs>